Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in our worship where we, uh, we try to focus our minds and put other things out of our mind that would hinder us from hearing from you. And we would ask, God, that right now you would speak to us from your word uh, as only you are capable of doing. Bring encouragement to us, Lord, where that is needed. Bring challenge where that is needed. Uh, more than anything, God, just let us have a, an open-handed posture before you this morning. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, we've been studying a little book called the book of James, but we're not doing that this morning. Uh, today and for the next couple of weeks, we are asking ourselves a question. You see it there on the screen. So what are we doing? Uh, that's our question as regards our church here at Deer Creek. Every year we pause this time of year to reflect together on our mission, our vision, our values, these kinds of things. That's what we're starting today, and we'll be doing that for the next couple of weeks. If you're new at Deer Creek Church, uh, you're going to kind of get to look in on a family gathering, a family conversation, if you will. Uh, as a family, Deer Creek always uh, wants to be asking, so what exactly are we doing? And there is a word for today that kind of uh, is the umbrella word under which everything I'm going to share with you and, and uh, try to teach uh, would come under this word. And the word is, wow. I'm not saying the sermon's going to be a wow. I'm just saying that's the word under which it's the kind of the umbrella word. You want to say that with me? Wow. wow. There you go. Because when we experience delight, when we experience wonder, when we experience gratitude or just the incredible joy and blessing of being alive, the single word that best describes that feeling is wow. That's the right word. And uh, if we uh, were to have everybody right now share what is the greatest wow of your life up to this point, I bet we'd have some amazing wow stories. Stories of overcoming, stories of persevering, stories of triumph, stories of faith, uh, lots of wow stories. And I think that is because wow is actually built into the universe. It's built into our reality, our existence. It's built into what and who a human being is. We are creatures made to experience wow. But I think a variety of things in life kind of work to beat the wow out of us, so to speak. Um, life has a way of j kind of uh, jading our spirits. Uh, our spirits can get kind of old and tired and, and warped by our brokenness and all the brokenness that's in the world. And so we can kind of go through day-to-day -day living and we can miss the wow. We express wow less and less and less often. Sometimes people, too, even live in a fog, uh, unable to see the good that is happening in their life or around them, good that God is up to, or maybe even worse, they're unable to see God at all. Uh, often people like this are kind of, you know, the cup half empty kind of an attitude. Their job is dull. So is their spouse. Their house is shabby. Their car is old. Their hair is thinning or they have no hair at all. Uh, their kids aren't thriving, and these people live as though there's nothing really for which to be thankful, let alone someone to be thankful to. Uh, and the evil one, I've got to tell you, just loves that kind of blindness, just loves it when we get caught in that kind of a fog. Because the truth is, in spite of life's 
hardships, in spite of life's inequities, in spite of all the brokenness in life, of which there is plenty in here, out there, you name it, we live in this universe that is at the same time full of light, full of life, full of mystery, full of beauty, full of goodness, good things that God is up to in our lives and and in the world around us. For example, this morning you woke up and got to live another day. Some of you look like just barely maybe, but you know, your heart is beating. Your mind is active. You have food. From what I can tell, you have clothing. Uh, You have shelter. Uh, You possibly have some friends. Now you're here, so maybe you also have a church home and, and you have, if you want, a God who loves you. You have a savior who died for you. You have God's spirit to guide you to empower you, to give you wisdom when and where it's needed. You have a purpose for living given to you by that God. And you have a promise of heaven and a promise of eternity. And that's just for starters. So, wow. Well, I mean, wow, that's pretty good. Um, And friends, there is a producer of wows. Um, There is a wower, so to speak, and that is almighty God. And then there are receivers of wows or wowies, and that would be you and me. And when a wowie directs a wow toward the wower, that word in the Bible for that experience is worship. Worship is wow. And uh, here's the thing. We're actually commanded to practice wowing or worship directed towards God. The psalmist says this, says, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, says the psalmist. Wow, Wow, what a great idea. The Bible is full of statements like that and commands like that. Um, Now, I want to say a word about this because in our day, a lot of people wonder why. I mean, why would God want people to constantly praise and worship him? Uh, That seems kind of needy to us. I mean, what's wrong with God that he's commanding us to worship, that he wants us to worship? I mean, can you imagine a movie star, a CEO, a politician so egotistical that they want a bunch of people to stand around and tell them how great they are all the time? Can you imagine? Maybe that's a bad example, I admit. But people wonder, is God like that? Is that the way God is? There's a great thinker, C.S. Lewis. He gets quoted all the time. I love his writings. He said that before he became a follower of Jesus, the idea of God commanding people to praise him really troubled him. It was difficult for him to kind of wrap his head around that. Uh, But then he noticed something about the human spirit. He said, anytime we see beauty, anytime we see excellence, anytime we see something really good, something really admirable, our experience of it is actually incomplete until we express our joy or our praise about that thing. And I wish I had insights like that, but that he's right. He is exactly right. For example, the Broncos win the Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. I mean, I'm not a prophet or anything, but it's not going to happen. But say it did. Could you imagine sitting there watching the Broncos win the Super Bowl, hands folded, and you're not allowed to say a word? That's 
completely incongruous. Am I not right? I mean, you've got to cheer. You've got to celebrate. You'd be jumping up and down. That is a wow moment because joy naturally wants to give praise. And if the play on the field is so good to win a Super Bowl, it deserves praise. Uh, read a good book. We'll take it down a notch or two. You read a good book. It's really entertaining. It's really wonderful. What do you do? You tell people about the book. You got to read this book. This book is fantastic. I so enjoyed this. Or you see a phenomenal movie. Same thing. You got to watch this movie. This is a great movie. You need to go. Or you hear a great song or you ride a great trail or you experience a great restaurant and you are singing its praises to everybody you know. Joy, the point is, inevitably flows into praise. It's just the way we're put together. Now, let's say you're a single man and the excellence and the beauty and the goodness that you see in a particular single woman just overwhelms you. It's like, wow, you know, wow. Who do you want to express your praise to? This could be why we have so many single men here. Uh, Because this is not a trick question and the answer is not Jesus. Not this time. The correct answer would be you want to tell her You want to tell her, wow, you are a wonderful person. You are so intelligent. You are so beautiful. You are so smart. You are such a pleasure and a joy to be around. It's just how we're put together. This is why a parent praises their child. This is why a student who's in school, but they've got a teacher who's really kind of uh, igniting a fire under them for learning. And they can't help but tell people how good the class is and how great the teacher is. This is why a boss gets praise from employees that just love working for that boss. Happens to me all the time all the time. No, that's not true. But here's the thing. We're born primed to praise. That's what human beings are. We are born primed to praise. We're made this way. And so God delights in our praise, not because God is this needy, empty character who has low self-esteem and needs propping up or some such thing. Quite the contrary. God delights in our praise because it means we're connected to him. What it means is we are aware of him. We are relating to him. We are awake to all of his gifts and all of his goodness and all of his care and all of his protection and all of his constant daily provision and all of his beauty and all of his wonder. Friends, it's easy to not live that way, to not be awake to God. Uh, We all have what might be called kind of a a wow threshold, if you will. Uh, That's the amount of goodness that needs to flow into your life to trigger delight and joy and gratitude and praise and things like that. Some people go through the day where they have a very low wow threshold, meaning they're wowed by all kinds of things. And they just feel wow all the time, all day long. It doesn't take a lot to trigger the thankfulness or praise or all. There's a flower. Wow. Look at the bee on the flower. Wow. Wow. Look at the sunset. Look at the bird. This is my wife. This is Holly. Holly's up at six o'clock this morning going to a pond to paddleboard because she has some type of a weird relationship with a beaver on that pond. But then she comes back and it's like, wow, you should see what I saw today. Uh, you know, wow. She's just a wonderful wower. Other people get old in spirit, jaded, cynical, self-preoccupied, ungrateful. And by the way, I'm not describing me and have not said a wow for a long long time. Too long. C.S. Lewis noted that people who are growing, people who are thriving, people who are actually loving on other people, that's a key ingredient. Those are the people who praise the most. I think he's exactly right. He went on to note that people who are stagnant, people who are cranky, 
People who are self-centered praise the least. He wrote these words. He said, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Wow, I wish I could write stuff like that. That is so insightful. Praise almost seems to be inner health, what's going on in the inside, made audible. Friends, let me just say, praise or worship is one of our big three here at Deer Creek Church. So we're asking this question. So, you know, what are we doing? Well, we want to answer that question and we want to be crystal clear together on what we're doing. We say around here over and over and over, I said it in the video, we are a people who aren't perfect and don't pretend to be reaching up, reaching in, reaching out. And we believe these things are how a disciple of Jesus grows. These are not mottos to us. We really believe this is how a person grows. So it's vitally important that we get these things right. So reaching up, understand, is all about connecting with God. It's all about worshiping God, being in wow of God, developing a heart that gives praise and gives thanks and just shows gratitude to God. And in the time that's left, I want to talk about how you and I can get worship right, because I promise you, I do. If you don't get worship right, you won't grow like you should as a follower of Jesus, nor will we be the church that we both want and need to be. So that's the backdrop. That's why we're talking about this. That's why we're kind of putting James on hold for a little bit. And we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth because they are having a hard time actually getting this worship thing right. And so I want to look at what Paul says, and I want to challenge us to put some stakes in the ground to make some commitments around this thing of worship. And here's the first commitment I'm going to challenge us all to consider and would love to see us all make, and that would be this. I will offer wholehearted, consistent worship to God. Not half-hearted, not perfunctory going through the motions, not casual worship. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He says, what shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church, for the health of the church, for the well-being of the church. Paul is saying, here's what I want you to do when you gather for worship. Each of you be prepared with something that will be useful for all, depending, of course, on your spiritual gifts. Paul talks about that as well here in this letter. Uh, sing a hymn. Teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. The underlining principle here is be a participant. Worship is participatory. It's not something you observe. It's something you participate in. And notice Paul does not say, you know, if you worship, he says when you worship. Paul is assuming that we are making this a regular weekly priority, just like it had been for centuries for the Jews on their day of Sabbath, just like it was in the life of Jesus. You will never not find Jesus at synagogue on the Sabbath or at the temple on the Sabbath. This was just a regular part of a person's weekly rhythm who followed God. Now, you might be here this morning visiting. Uh, you're from someplace else or you're just uh, maybe here asking spiritual questions. You know, who is Jesus? What is church? What's all this uh, deal about Christianity? And so, and that's great that we're delighted to have you here. 
but, and this message would be a little less for you than for the person who is here and who says, you know, Deer Creek is my church home. This is, this is my spiritual family. It's that group of people that I want to challenge to make a personal commitment when, that when the church gathers to worship, I will be there worshiping. That will be my priority. Um, I'll find other times to write emails or crank out more work or watch TV or watch the Broncos game. Uh, I'll schedule birthday parties and recreational activities and times to relax and trips to the park, whatever. All good things, actually. All good things. But I'll schedule those things at other times. When the church gathers to express our devotion to Jesus, I will be there. Now, you know, if you're a parent, you've got kids I would just plead with you to model this to your children. Let your children have a place where other adults pour the love of God into their lives, whether that's in the children's ministry, if they're young, or the you know, ministry to students in middle school, high school, whether that's being here in the worship service. I am challenging all of us to make sure that gathering to worship our great God is a very high priority for us individually, for our families, for us as a church family. And here's why. I don't know any other way for you to participate in things like teaching and prayer and praise and confession of sin and the sacraments and giving and serving and testimony, all things that Jesus followers do. I I don't know any other way for you to regularly participate in those things than to join with others on a Sunday morning when we gather for worship. That's what this is about. Um, The writer of Hebrews says this, this is a familiar passage to many of you. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know, Christians are supposed to be about the business of spurring one another on towards love, loving each other, loving people out there, good deeds, the, the things that Jesus would do. And then the writer of Hebrews says, so let us not give up meeting together. Uh, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see that day approaching, the day of Jesus' return. So what I'm trying to do is not increase attendance. Don't care about that. What I do care about is uh, I care about your spiritual good, my spiritual good, our spiritual good, our growth. And I'm encouraging us to to think of the gathering that takes place here as as a vitally important piece of that spiritual growth. And therefore, to commit to making this thing that we do here a priority practice, to say to yourself and to say to God, you know, I'll commit to that. That will be a priority in my life. It's one that I should have. Now, I know, I know, I know. We live in Colorado. I get it. And I'm thankful, actually. I love living in Colorado. Uh, And we recreate, don't we? A lot of times on the weekends, family camping, outdoor activities, all of that is great. Every family needs that in their annual rhythm, right? Uh, We need that up to a point. But when those activities become more important or even more consistent to you than getting or gathering together with others in worship, I would suggest, and I hope humbly so, but I would suggest you might have the wrong priorities. Uh, Now, you know, we do this live broadcast thing on Sunday uh, on Sunday mornings, and we're delighted that many of you are using that. In fact, you've, got, you've gotten back to us. You've said, you know, when you're traveling, hey, we tuned into the live broadcast, and that was great. So we're loving it that you do that. But, you know, the question is, is that a viable alternative to gathering together with others to worship Jesus? Is it? No. 
That's good, boys and girls. <laughs> That's not a good idea. That's not a good habit to develop. Staying at home and just watching something that's being broadcast, not a good idea. And here's why. The Holy Spirit works in us when we gather together. Uh, the Holy Spirit um, kind of inhabits our praises, if you will. We're able to experience God together in a way that we cannot experience him separately. Now, it's just the opposite is just as true. It's just as important. You can experience God in solitude by yourself in a way that's also unique in a way that's also important. That's why it's not one or the other. Both are important. But when we gather together, you know, somebody comes um, and they've just lost someone they love. I, I spoke with a person after the first service. Her husband died last Sunday. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just really, really, really difficult. Uh, somebody comes who's discouraged or depressed for any number of reasons. Somebody comes who's just had a medical report that's devastating. Somebody comes who just got betrayed in an important relationship. And maybe they are so low they can't even find the energy to sing the songs that are being sung. But here's the thing. They can kind of absorb the singing that you might be offering, you see. And, and you might be led by God to notice them or to pray for them or to encourage them or to love on them in some way. And this is just, that's part of why we gather as a church. Um, there are lots of ways that information can get disseminated. One of them is a video. We used that earlier in this service. You know, I could just put some thoughts together in a video and we could blast that out to you and I could stay home on Sunday morning. And you know what? That would be terrible for me. That would not be good for me spiritually. I get something from meeting together with others to sing the praises of Jesus. Others who are committed to that kind of gathering. So we gather together, of course, too, uh, to, to be able to love God, to be able to remember that God forgives us. Your worship, your presence, your participation, God uses to encourage another person's spirit very often. That's how this thing works. The psalmist said, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. And I am challenging all of us who call Deer Creek Church their home to put a stake in the ground on this one. Make gathering and telling of his wonderful acts a practical priority in your weekly rhythm. Why? Well, again, because he is worth it, number one. He deserves your praise and mine, number two. And I might just kind of toss in there, he commands it. You see, friends, worshiping God should not be a casual deal. Um, it's not something we just do when we have time. No, we make time. It's not something we work in around other things. No, no. It's something we make a priority. And that's uh, when we gather, we come ready to give God glorious praise. We we get prepared for participation. That's what Paul is talking about to the church at Corinth. When you gather, he says, not if. He says, when you gather, come prepared. Be ready to think about God. Be ready to participate. Be on time. And I know some of you are thinking, that's a low blow bringing that up. You know, be on time. Well, I know uh, you're saying we have little kids and they have to be awakened. And they have to be corralled. And then they have to be fed. Then they have to be diapered. Then they have to be corralled again and be re-diapered. Then they have to be harnessed into a car seat. Whoa, that's a, an adventure, isn't it? And then they have to be refereed all the way here. And then they have to be ushered in. The, I know, I know. 
been there, done that. So lots of grace on this. This is not a, we're not going to appoint people to stand at the front door. And if you show up late, we're going to shame you. That's not, I don't think this, I don't think Jesus would be very pleased with that. All I'm saying is this, worship is like life. You get out of it what you put into it. You really do. If you put little effort or little forethought or little priority or little participation into it, guaranteed you will get little out of it. God is worthy of our best always. And that's the first commitment. I will offer wholehearted priority or consistent worship to our God. Here's the second one. I will offer God thoughtful worship. Let me kind of explain this one. The point here is, let's not allow our minds to go on autopilot when we come together to worship God. Part of what Paul was correcting in Corinth was that people were were very, very hungry for ecstatic, emotional experiences. That's what they were looking for at Corinth, a lot of them. They were not engaging their minds the way they needed to. They were putting them on spiritual autopilot and trying to have an ecstatic experience. Paul addresses that. He writes and he says, For if I pray in a tongue, that's a foreign language, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Why? Because it's not being interpreted and I I don't know what I'm saying. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. There's an underlying principle here to what Paul is saying. There's a lot of things we could say about that passage. I'm not going to this morning. But the underlying principle here in Paul's thinking is that worship begins up here. It begins in our mind. And worship, to be any good, needs to be intelligible to everyone. But people's minds need to be engaged, need to be spoken to. See, the truth is your mind is the place where you can always meet with God. But especially when we gather together, engage your mind so that you are meeting with God. It is through your mind and through your thoughts that you communicate. And worship, friends, is all about communication. God communicating to us, us communicating to him. Occasionally we communicate to each other, right? Uh, I love the way Beyonce puts this. She says, the only interaction you have with reality comes through your mind. The only interaction you have with reality comes through your mind. And this is why the mind and what we turn our minds to is so vitally important in our lives. Now, actually, uh, that isn't Beyonce, that's Dallas Willard, but I quote Dallas Willard all the time. So I thought I would just mix it up this morning. And you have to admit, when I said Beyonce, you started listening, didn't you? Shame on you. Yeah. Maybe Beyonce did say that. I don't really know. But anyway, the biggest problem we have with our minds is not the knowledge we lack. It's not. It's the knowledge we forget. And this is why a a constant synonym for worship in the Bible is this little word, remember. It's used over and over in the Bible in the context of worship, remember. The psalmist says, in the night I remember your name, O Lord. Well, why? why? Why in the night? What's that about? Well, well, because I'm prone to forget it. What is more in the night? I'm prone to remember other stuff 
the, uh, maybe even harmful stuff, rather than remembering, rather than worshiping the name of God. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why? Why, why your youth? What's that about? Well, because in the days of your youth, you're kind of prone to forget your creator. You got hormones flowing. You got peer pressure mounting. God, what God? Who's God? You know, it's easy to have that happen. The psalmist again says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. There's that remember piece. Forget not all his benefits. Why? Why praise? Why worship? Well, because my soul is prone to forget all of those benefits. You know, later when Jesus instituted the sacrament of communion, you're all familiar with this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Why do you? Because we forget, you see. Worship always begins up here in the mind, at least good worship. And so I bring God's goodness and God's patience and God's greatness, God's kindness, God's forgiveness, God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's love. I bring those things in worship when I gather with others. I bring those things into my mind and I remember. That's a big part of what worship is. It's remembering, remembering the things we so easily forget. Sometimes people think that worship just means music, but worship is way, way way more than just music. Adam and Eve worshiped God long before music had even been invented. Sometimes people think that uh, worship requires a certain kind of music or good worship requires a certain kind of music. And they wonder what kind of music does God like best? Well, the psalmist says this in Psalm 100, it says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, Come before him with joyful songs. And I would just point out, shouting is a pretty low bar musically. <laughs> it is. Almost anybody can do that. Even people who cannot carry a tune to save themselves, right? Sometimes through the preaching process with the two services that we have, I get hoarse. And what I found is that in the second service, I'm, I'm not going to stand by and let you declare the glories of God and I don't participate. Here's why. My heart is often not where it needs to be. My heart is often in need of infusion of truth, infusion of grace. One of the ways I get that is when I hear you declaring the glories of God, I choose to participate in that. And I will sometimes get so hoarse, I can't sing. I mean, I can't sing great anyhow. Um, but, well, I don't know. Let me show you. Can you bring me a, no, but, but the, uh, but you know what I can do? I can just say the words out loud. I can't sing them, but I can say them out loud. And that is a whale of a lot better for me personally for what's going on inside here than if I just do this, which is what I see a lot of you doing. <laughs> you can at least say the words. Now, don't say them if you don't mean them, but sometimes I need to say them in order to mean them. Have you ever been there? Just saying them helps me mean them. It helps me grow. I think God loves, by the way, all kinds of music. I think God is mostly, uh, he loves beautiful music, all kinds of music. I really do. Uh, I don't think there's just one kind of music that God likes. I think God is always concerned about the lyrics that accompany music. If those lyrics give praise and, and honor and glory to him, then I, I don't know that the style of music is all that important to God. I think he just loves good music. Uh, the reason why we use music in worship is that worship begins here. It begins in the mind. It's supposed to be thoughtful, but it doesn't stay here. 
It doesn't. Uh, it actually spreads to my body. Now, in, in a white Presbyterian church or a mostly white Presbyterian church, it doesn't spread very well to <laughs> the body. You know, you get this going on, hands in the pockets. You, you, know, what, you know what it means when Aaron goes like this? It means clap. But you don't do it. What is wrong with you people? When the worship director goes like this, or whatever it is, clap. I don't care if you don't want to. You'll, you'll at least look like, you know, you get the message. I, wow. Anyhow, uh, this whole thing of when, when we start to sing and praise and worship, it starts here, but it spreads. It's supposed to spread to our body. It's supposed to spread to our heart, our spirit. It's certainly going to spread to our emotions. It affects all of me. That's what worship does. So again, first commitment, I will offer wholehearted, consistent worship to our God. Second commitment, I will offer God thoughtful worship that spreads to my whole body appropriately, right? Last commitment, third commitment, I will commit in worship to live in joy. And I would say, here's the thing. This is so important. Worship is a key component to you living in joy or to me living in joy. This is one of the things that worship produces in us. When we remember who God is and worship here is supposed to correct us on that. Oh, that's who God is. When we remember why the world stinks, amen. Does the world stink? Is there lots of evil in the world? Yeah. When we remember why we stink, you know, why we're broken, why we don't get it right. And at the same time, we remember who Jesus is and that our sins are forgiven and that he's coming back and going to make it all right someday. We, when we start to remember those things, we then are able to live in joy. That's when we can start to live in joy. You see, Paul was oftentimes in trouble, the Apostle Paul. Paul was oftentimes in chains. Paul was facing death at the point where he wrote these words. He says, rejoice in the Lord occasionally, he said. Is that what he said? No. He said, rejoice in the Lord when something finally goes your way, right? No, no. You see, uh, <laughs> that's not at all what he said. Paul knew all about suffering. He knew all about hardship. He knew all about difficulty. He knew all about pain. He knew all about loss. He knew all about combating evil in the world and in himself. He knew all about even death. But Paul actually said, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's like he knew as soon as he wrote that, what people were going to say and how they were going to object. Uh, and so he says, he, well, he knew people were going to say, Paul, you, you can't be serious. Rejoice in the Lord always. I, no. so, so what he really wrote was, I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I, I will say it again, rejoice. And friends, I would suggest to you that you have little hope of rejoicing in the Lord always without a regular and consistent gathering together with others who follow Jesus to worship and to remember that God is good, even when your immediate circumstances may not be so good. In worship, we see the joy in others. In worship, even if uh, at present, joy is hard for us. We're reminded by looking at others that joy is possible, that joy can return. In worship, we share our joy. In worship, we share our burdens, uh, all in the presence of God who loves us and cares for us. 
One of the reasons that we have prayer after a worship service as a part of our worship service uh, is that there are oftentimes burdens that just need, you need help bearing them. You need somebody to pray with you. You need someone to come alongside. Worship gives us the truthful perspective we need on life, on ourselves, on the world, so that we can rejoice always. It's what worship does. I was reading an article in Psychology Today that said that the average four-year-old laughs 300 times a day. That's got to be true. I've got eight grandkids and some of the really little ones, they, they just laugh all the time. It's laughing, giggling all the time. All I have to do to make them laugh hysterically is fart. <laughs> I'm suddenly the funniest man on earth with my grandkids. Little kids will laugh at everything. Make a funny face, make a funny noise. They laugh their heads off. They love life. Life is a hoot, or should I say a toot, whatever. (laughs) So the average four-year-old laughs 300 times a day. How many times do you think a 40-year-old laughs on average? This is research done on this. Four times a day. The average 65-year-old just slaps people who laugh. (laughs) What happens to us? What happens to us? Does the world become less beautiful, less wonderful, less mysterious? I don't think so. I think children have this right, people. God's world is funny. It really is. God's world is beautiful. God's world is mysterious. Now, true, God's world is also tragic and broken. That's why God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's going to introduce all kinds of stuff you don't want. But we did, and all that stuff is here, and it's real, it's very real, it's tragic, but the world that God made, because God is active in it, is still glorious, and it's still wonderful. There is so much to enjoy, there's so much to laugh at, there's so much to celebrate that gratitude and delight should be coursing through us like blood through our veins if our eyes were really open. And yet our sin and our fear and our lack of faith in God's ultimate power and goodness and purpose, it makes us old and sad and gnarled and ungrateful and it withers our spirits. Do you get it? Worship is designed to combat those things. Worship reminds us of truth. Maybe even worship helps us stay young. I don't know. You know, I kind of hear the words of Jesus and it causes me to to think it's just possible. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Wow. What an observation that is. If you think about it in worship, we remember, right? That you and I are headed for eternal joy. No matter what your state right now, eternal joy is coming. Our sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. Our lives have purpose. We can know Jesus now. We can live with Jesus now. We can trust Jesus now. Wow. Wow, God. I mean, you are worthy. You are worthy of praise. Part of the deal about worship is we all worship something or somebody. To be human, the the fact that you are human makes this inescapable. 
You worship someone or you worship uh, something. You will give your ultimate allegiance, your ultimate devotion to something. And a lot of people give their devotion to money or they give it to the job or they give it to their appearance or they give it to their reputation or they give it to recreation or they give it to their family. You worship something on purpose or by accident for better or for worse. And I'm challenging all of us today to be committed to gathering together to worship our great God so that we can be the people who live in joy. Trust me, when you're going through hard times, and I don't mean ever to pretend. If you're going through hard times, then act like you're going through hard times. But be willing to acknowledge that you know joy is coming because it is. You're not gonna be stuck in hard times forever. That's the promise of God. That's the promise of the gospel. Joy is coming. You see, you can live in the midst of difficulty and actually also experience joy because of the God that you follow, the God that you worship. And when you come to worship like this, it reminds you, oh yeah, joy. I need some of that. Well, the way to get that is to enter in to worship. Um, If you think about it, our biggest wow moment is still out there in front of us. It really is. Uh, It will be the moment that we die and we appear before Jesus. That is going to be a wow moment for all of us. And I hope more than anything, you are ready for that moment. If you have never committed your life fully to Jesus, I encourage you to do that. I pray that you will do that. And I invite you to do that today. You see, Jesus lived to teach us and to show us what life with God could be like. That's why studying the life of Jesus in the Gospels is is so impactful. Jesus said this, he said, I have told you this, he had told them many things, so that my joy might be in you and that your joy would be complete. How cool is that? And then you know what Jesus did? He went to the cross and he died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And then he rose again, demonstrating that he had overcome our sin and the problem of death. And here's the thing. If you want to, you you can confess your need of him. You can own your sin, your broken problem, and you can make Jesus your savior and you can start following him today. That's how easy this is. And here at Deer Creek Church, there is no bigger wow moment for us as a church than when somebody does that. There just isn't. When a sinful human being humbles herself or himself and confesses their sin and receives forgiveness and makes Jesus their friend, their forgiver, their savior, their God, that person crosses over from death to life. Talk about wow. That's as big as wow gets. And I wanna give all of us a moment this morning to respond to the stuff that we're talking about. Um, There's two possible ways you can respond. And one of those would be if you're uh, in a place where you feel like God is talking to you and you want to put your faith in Jesus, then you can do that. You can simply pray to him and tell him, Jesus, I, I want to be your follower. There is brokenness in me, brokenness that I've been kind of idolizing and committed to, but I need to let go of that. I need to give that to you and I need to turn. I need to repent. I need to make you my savior. And I, that's really all you got to say to him, something like that. Now, if you do that, you need to tell someone, 
tell me, tell the person you came with. It's very important. That's like putting a stake in the ground. You know, from this point forward, I follow him. Very, very important. That's one way to respond to some of the things we're talking about this morning. The second way is if you've already done that, well, then consider whether you need to make a commitment to worship, a commitment to praising this God, a commitment to gathering together with others for that purpose so that you can rejoice always. You see, has worship been kind of casual for you? Do it when we can, do it when we're able, do it when it's convenient, do it when I feel like it. Has worship been a kind of non-participatory thing? You do show up, but when you do, it's this, you know, it's not very much participation. Has worship for you just not been a weekly priority? I would say if that's you, I'm, I'm, I hope humbly challenging you to reconsider. I hope to challenge you to see your need of worship. I want to challenge you to make those commitments. I will offer wholehearted, consistent worship to God. I will offer you thoughtful, that means, you know, prepared beforehand, participatory worship. I will commit in worship to live in joy. Okay? Pray with me. Father, we, uh, we find all kinds of things to chase after in life. We, we acknowledge that. We admit it. We make things idols, good things that shouldn't be our ultimate thing. And we tend to worship those things. We put money into those things. We put time into those things, energy into those things. We get focused around those things. And all too often, God, those things crowd out our worship of you. Would you give us clarity? Clarity around our priorities. Clarity around the needs that, spiritual needs that exist in us. Clarity around the importance of making worship. Praising you, worshiping you, gathering with others to do exactly that, a priority. And would you help us not just make a commitment, God, but keep it because we won't keep it, not without you. Because, Father, we want to become more like Jesus. And we want the rhythms of our life to be more like the rhythms of Jesus' life. And we want to honor you. You deserve to be praised. This we acknowledge. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.